Okay, everybody queued up, ready to go? Very good, here we go. Well, the last time we came together we watched the uh, Laverne's trailer for Source Code and that really had a lot of the aspects, the way the trailer was made at, at the value of this movie Source Code for healing. The thing that I think is important with this movie is just like with the other classics that we've had, like uh, Solaris and Mr. Nobody and uh, Next and a lot of the quantum movies we've watched, this is a quantum movie and there's a certain element of ambiguity that is built in with the whole movie. In other words, the movie the movie unfolds in a way that the scenes seem to bring the mind into a place of, of not knowing, of ambiguity, of, of not being able to put the pieces together. And that's why when you see, as you go deeper into the movie, Mr. Nobody or into Next, uh, just as well as Source Code, there's a certain level of ambiguity that's building because it's a sense of loosening the mind from thinking it knows who it is, and where it is, and what it is, and familiarity breeds contempt it, to this sense that uh, you believe the ego, then you believe in location, you believe in your environment, you believe that the problems are on the level of form, which they are not, and, and therefore you find yourself mesmerized with a false identity that seems to be stabilized. So the mind is upside down and it's completely forgotten its source and it, it literally has, has taken on a time-space identity that it, it has adapted to and it has adjusted to. And then it needs to be taken through a disidentification process with that identity, so it has to be loosened from what it thinks it is, before it can be shown what it is. And that's the process of A Course in Miracles workbook. It's literally a device for loosening the mind, loosening the mind, and taking you more and more to the place that you, you don't really understand what you perceive, and you don't understand who you are, and you're willing to go into the void or to leave the world a blank slate, a tabula rasa, so that something can be shown to you, something can be revealed to the mind, and that's what's great about this movie. With all the movies, um, like I, I mentioned next, there's a mission, you know, in, in the next is to avoid a nuclear bomb going off, and, and in this case, um, you might say another way of describing this movie is the, the, the time-space mission seems to be different from what is really going on, which is much deeper, but the time-space mission is find the bomber. Find the bomber. There's a, there's a, a train and it's describing a bomb that goes off and it's describing it as part of a scheme in a larger context for 
a, a much larger bomb, a dirty bomb, they call them, in Chicago. And basically, that's the time-space context. So there's a mission for it. But the mission is never really what the, the movie's about. Just like when you watch Mission Impossible or you watch uh, all of the, the classic movies, there's, in many cases, there's, there's some kind of a, a time-space mission that seems to be the focal point. But that's more of just a, a sideshow to what's really going on. I think for most movies that's the case. I think when you watch a movie like Mr. Nobody, the more you watch the movie, the more, you know, I've had people tell me they just get up, they walk out of the movie, they, they can't stand to watch the movie because like that movie, Here Comes Isa, right when we're talking about cluelessness, that, that, factor of a plot, uh, of a movie having a direction, moving in a direction of having something that's unfolding is is not really what these quantum movies are about. They're, they're really about getting in touch with what's going on in your mind. And that's what makes them quantum because what seems to be the situations that the characters are going through aren't real situations, they're hypothetical situations, and there's something going on, there's a trick in the mind that has projected these things out. So, so with quantum movies, the more you get into them, the deeper you go into the quantum movies, the more you're, you're not sure about what is happening. In this movie we're going to watch today, there's definitely a forgiveness lesson that's been pushed out of awareness between uh, Coulter Stevens, Captain Stevens and his biological father, which is reflecting the deeper issue of the mind, the sleeping and dreaming that it's left its source and that it has identified with an identity that is completely make-believe and fictitious. It doesn't have anything to do with its real identity. And so, in this movie, it's going to take a while before it starts to dawn in the mind that, that this is about forgiveness. And uh, that's pretty much the case with all movies, but this one is going to come at it from a number of angles where he seems to have awareness and he seems to have consciousness and yet he seems to inhabit the body of another man. And then things, he just starts to discover this, then he starts to discover the name and the identity of this other man, and then there's still the context of the whole mission to find the bomber that goes on. Um, in so many of these movies, like in Solaris, um, the main character, the main name, the main character is, is, is a psychologist named Chris. And I always like when I watch movies where the character has some version of Christ in their name. So Chris Kelvin is just one letter short of, of the Christ. And that's what Solaris was all about, was recognizing the power of the mind, his fear of the light, and his absolute need to surrender into that light, 
in order to see that everything is forgiven, without exception. And, and the lightness that comes with the final realization. In this movie, uh, the female character that's going to be in all these scenarios in the train with Captain Coulter, with, or with, with, uh, it, it seems to be another man uh, named Derek, but there's, the woman's name is Christina. So she's another one of these characters is being used by the Holy Spirit to come back all the way to the source and come back all the way to the true identity. So I think the value of this movie is, as with all these classics, it starts to dislodge your awareness from this fixed belief of who you are in time and space. And it starts to bring in the awareness of consciousness. Just like the clip we just watched, you know, the main character, Tierney, Thierry, he was basically going through all of these episodes of being shown all these things, and he's very clueless about what it's all about, but he's starting to get a hint that he needs to accept what's given him for the greater good. And you might say, if the whole purpose is to remember your true identity, then you need to go through what seems to be a series of loosening experiences that leave you feeling less and less oriented into time and space. If you give yourself over and you go past the heaviness in the heart that we heard about from the Abbot, you'll go more and more into that state of mind where you don't know who you are in time and space. You start to have these still experiences where they're very expansive, but they're not, they don't have any kind of orientation to them. They don't have an orientation. You can't say with certainty that you are so-and-so, or that you live in a certain location, or that you have a certain identity that's based on anything that you do, or have done, or will do. You know, all that's like a loosening. And that's really what we mean by loosening from the distractions. Loosening from the identification with the distractions and the distractive mechanisms of mind that keep taking the mind into some kind of orientation. So that's why on the spiritual journey you, you find yourself from time to time extremely disoriented. And I think that is, is something, we just saw the clip from the man who knew too little. He, he literally became less and less aware of the character that he seemed to be, the brother that he seemed to be, and more just allowing himself to get used by the Spirit in different scenarios where he was much less identified with any of the characters, not less, much less the one he was, he seemed to be, or any of the other actors, because he was aware that they were all acting. And he stayed in that awareness, and he stayed very light-hearted. So in this movie, it's, it's more of like a puzzle, where the main character is trying to put together, he's trying to grasp onto something. He's trying to figure out something of the world, and we have this, seemingly uh, computer-generated program in which he seems to find himself 
in it, and he's able to be inserted in it, and then he's got this mission that he's given, but the more he goes on his mission, the more he starts to ponder the deeper questions. Like where does he still have heaviness in his heart? If you only had, you know, two minutes to live, and you could make a phone call, who would you call? You know, if who is it that he really wants to speak to? Who is it that he really wants to reach? After this scenario of this uh, train, and these passengers, and these interactions, and this train blowing up in repeated ways, you might say, uh, it's, it's, in a sense, it's a little bit like Groundhog Day on steroids, where it's, the days just go over and over, except his day uh, always comes in these generated uh, scenarios, always comes up with the, the train blowing up. I was looking at, uh, at the movie online and I was noticing, um, sometimes it says other movies that, that people search for. People also search for Inception, Deja Vu, Transcendence, Selfless, Eagle Eye. There's another one with the same actress in Michelle Monaghan. Monaghan is in that one as well. The Sixth Day and Looper. If any of you remember Looper, that was another time movie. So, in one sense, you know, it's like, that's the point of us watching these movies. We're starting out with a Looper movie. We still have our Groundhog Days and our, uh, I mean, the, the, what's the one, the Butterfly Effect. Uh, there's a couple versions of the butterfly effect. When you start to watch a lot of these Looper movies, what was the one too where um, where the young woman was in it? Was, hmm? Before I Fall. Yeah, that was a that was a more current Looper movie. But it's we may find ourselves in certain little streaks as we do these. Uh, these movies every week where we might get into a groove or a rhythm where we watch a number of looper movies to start to loosen the mind from belief that, that you are in the timeline. You know, there's nothing like that. Even another movie that was suggested for today, uh, 222, is kind of keeps flashing back all these memories uh, start to break in to to the mind, and it starts to disorganize the perception. And it's as if, as the movie goes along, you can start to see there's a pattern of the past just repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating, and yet the mind is fooled into believing that it's experiencing something brand new for the first time, as, it's, as if it's never been in this situation before. The form maybe has shifted. But there's a recognition underneath, like, wow, I've been here before, and you were here, and you were here, and you were here. It's like a dream that keeps looping around and around. But the key still will be a loosening and a, and a, a disidentification with whatever that seems to be. Whatever assumptions are tied in with that, whatever identity that's tied in with that. Because there are fears that have to be faced. 
there are things that have to be questioned and it cannot just be continued to be assumed that I'm just facing another day, like the Beatles song, another day, it, which is just on the surface of consciousness. You have to go much deeper, deeper and, and actually let all that be loosened before the lesson can be seen. So, we'll start this movie and we'll move into it, but it's like the, the value of these movies is like, let the Spirit take you and take you into that feeling as you follow the main character of starting to not really know who you are, where you are, what you are, and what you're doing. Because even the, the mission that he's given, you know, to find the bomber, at some point he just starts to question the, the value of the mission, because that's just a distraction too. Whenever we think there's something we have to do or accomplish in time or space, that's never really what the lesson is. You don't, you don't ever really accomplish anything inside of time and space, because the lesson is to see that you're the dreamer of the dream, and you have to get back. You know, like the, the Beatles song, get back, get back, get back to where you once belonged. You know, you've got to get back to the mind. And these movies help us, in an experiential way, get back into the mind. Get, get off the screen, get away from the identification with the character. As long as the mind today is riveted on the belief that it's this character in the dream, there's going to be guilt. And that guilt is going to be projected onto the body and onto the other characters. And, and oftentimes onto the, the environment or the setting. Or it's projected to an invisible enemy like it's going on with the coronavirus, you know, it's like, it's like the sneakiest of all enemies is, is an enemy that can't be seen and, and yet, you know, everyone's talking about it as if it must be believed, and it's a very serious threat, even though it's invisible. It's an, it's, you know, the ego says, oh, it's even, it's the worst kind of enemy, it's an invisible enemy. And the reason there's such a fear around that which is invisible is because the mind is locked into this false perception, and is actually afraid of true light, of true seeing. It's afraid to see who it really is, so then it, it projects out, you know, its ghosts and its villains and, and enemies, and the, the sneakiest of all is the invisible enemy. Maybe we'll have to do a real good Mind Watcher movie um, at some point, like a good old traditional Mind Watcher movie, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Does anybody ever see that? That was a good one. It, there's different versions of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but the best versions are are this invisible force that takes over bodies. Pretty much like the virus, the coronavirus. In some of the earlier versions, it would be, you'd see dirt, and you would just see the dirt moving. It would be something moving under dirt. You know, I remember as a child, like, oh my God, you know, it's not like a typical dragon or werewolf or something, it's just, it's moving under the dirt. And then they came up with even with better and better uh, movies um, 
There was even one movie that was supposed to be this big horror movie where this invisible force would just literally take over human beings and they would become so calm and so serene, they wouldn't seem to have any drama or passion or anything and critics were saying it was, it was just horrifying because it wasn't even dirt moving, it just would come in and it would, it would kind of take over and everything got so peaceful too in society, there were no wars and everything and so when I did the movie I said I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna flip this whole movie around now from a horror movie to a teaching of the Holy Spirit and so I had the thing that was supposed to be the most horrifying thing in the movie I had flipped it in my commentary people thought I had gone nuts but I flipped it around completely to this it was the spirit that was taking over all of these bodies and I would say, look, there's not fighting anymore, there's not competition, there's not war, you know. It, but it was, for people watching the movie, it was spooky because what they associated with the human being was gone when this invisible force came. And they were feeling like that that force, whatever that force was, it had to be the enemy. I flipped it and I said, no, that's the savior. They were like, what are you doing? You can't do that with a movie. This is not, that's not what you do with a movie. But actually you can, you can do it. Because when you talk about fear of love, people say, I'm not afraid of love. Or when you talk about fear of the light, people say, I'm not afraid of the light. And when you say fear of following the Holy Spirit's guidance, most of the time people are not really aware of the terror of following the Holy Spirit. They don't, in spiritual circles, you don't go to course groups and it's not like the common discussion in course groups. Are you terrified of the Holy Spirit? Oh yeah, that's the spookiest, craziest thing I've ever felt in my life. Oh, Holy Spirit, ooh, it's, it's worse than Freddy Krueger, it's, you know, it's, but the thing about it is, it doesn't make any sense until you start to see that the sleeping mind has a major, major investment in individuality, a major investment in privacy, a major investment in autonomy, and, and this sense of having an individual will and an individual sense of choice is so basic for the sleeping mind, that the Holy Spirit is like the big threat. Because the Spirit's purpose is to show the impossibility of that individuality, the impossibility of that independence, that the impossibility that anything such as a person could ever exist. Persona is a mask. The Holy Spirit is to show the reality of the truth that has no mask. So that's where the terror comes in. But that's not a conscious terror. That's, that, that doesn't come in usually until you have deep meditations. That doesn't come in until you have a, myst, a very profound mystical experience or a revelation and then you feel your mind is raw. You feel you're shaken up. You feel something traumatic has occurred. Yeah, it's the light. The experience, the direct experience of the light the ego interprets as a trauma. It's a huge trauma. So, so let's just sit back and enjoy taking the ride of source code where 
You're taken in more slowly, slowly on an adventure and you have more ambiguity and more disorientation that occurs as you go along. But as this disorientation occurs, you find yourself asking more basic, deep questions. Like what's, what is happening? What is going on? And, and then the who am I question that Ramana Maharshi talked about. In this uh, movie, Captain Coulter Stevens, you know, he gets to the point where he, he is not so sure who he is. He's not so sure if, if he's alive or dead. He's not so sure if he's Coulter Stevens. He's not so sure if, if he's this guy Derek. And he's definitely not sure of what is the purpose or what is the meaning underneath everything that's happening to him. Because it doesn't seem to be coming to a place of clarity for him. It brings him closer and closer to really facing the heaviness inside. That he is so pushed out of awareness that he, he is not even aware of the heaviness inside. He's gone off into the, the, the army, I think, you know, he's fought in the services, he's done all these things on the surface of personality, and yet he's never really taken the time to face the heaviness inside, like the, the abbot was saying to Tierney, Tiri. So let's roll it, and we may pause it here as we move along. movie where he he asked a question that seems to be totally unrelated to anything that he's been dealing with. And he, he said says to uh, her, what would you do if you only had two minutes to live? I would call my dad. So now as we watch that little clip to start today where the abbot said you have to, you have to face the heaviness inside. That you can start to take a look at all the memories you have about this world, all the, the circumstances you had, all the relationships that you had, all of the, the problems that you seem to solve as a human being, only to, to have more problems that show up, and you solve some problems. They're all based on a false identity of believing that you're a person in time and space. So, as Captain Coulter, everything that he seems to do inside this capsule, where it seemed to get quite frigid, everything that he seems to do in that train, everything that he remembers about being in Afghanistan and flying, being a pilot, flying sorties, flying these missions, and then if we generalize it to time and space, everything that's perceived to be meaningful in time and space is a projection of false memories to distract you from one thing. And that one thing is be still. 
and know that I'm God. From the stillness of discovering who you are. In this movie, the source code is like a computer-generated program in which his consciousness is being used and he's still not sure now, Captain Coulter Stevens, this guy Sean Fentress, he's, he seems to be charts the drives, boom, he's in these train scenarios. He's been told that he has a mission, he has a purpose, and he has a goal, and you can see that even that false goal that he's been given to find find the bomb, then you'll find the bomber. The goal, the game seems to be find the bomber. It seems to involve the military. It seems to be done under the guise of saving lives, saving lives, thousands of lives. Not on that train, they're saying, but on in Chicago. They're trying to evacuate Chicago to prevent uh, loss of life for this uh, this dirty bomb exploding and, and taking out, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, or millions of people in Chicago. But it's all a projection. It really relates to what's going on in the world right now. All the talk of the coronavirus and all the idea of quarantining and social distancing and hand washing and doing all these things is all under the guise. That's like a mission. The millions of people on earth have been given a mission to save lives by not letting this invisible virus go around and destroy bodies. Really, a relatively small amount of bodies considering all the, the people that seem to die every day. There are more people that die in car, car smash-ups than, than the virus. But it's, it's heightened because it's all about saving lives. And even his mission, you know, as, as a soldier was to fight for the good, fight against the evil, save lives. It's all a projection of the fear of the light. It's all a projection of the belief in separation. It's all a giant egoic scheme to keep the mind from waking up from the dream of this world. So, you see, even if we break it down into what his source code mission is, is find the, find the bomb, find the bomber. That's what they really want to do is find the bomber to save lives, to prevent the loss of lives. It's all part of a distractive scheme guarding against waking up. And it shows you how intricate and complicated that the ego comes up with all kinds of scenarios in time and space to avoid forgiveness, to avoid the atonement, to avoid the Holy Spirit. And unreal problems are set up that have no solution. Every problem that's part of the human condition is a pseudo-problem that was set up to defend against the discovery of the problem of separation. So that's why Jesus tells us in Lessons 79 and 80, let me recognize the problem so it can be solved. In 79 and Lesson 80, let me recognize my problems have been solved. All of time and space, all of these huge complexities of, of 
human beings, of issues, of problems, of survival, all of them are a projection to distract away from what the Ebbet said in our first clip of facing the heaviness. That all the complexity of this world, including all the false identities of time and space, are all designed and projected by the ego for the one purpose, to keep you from knowing who you are. To keep you from discovering the belief in separation, which is underneath all these projections, because if you discover the belief, then you can actually accept the correction for the belief and then the dream is over. So that's why all that mind training that takes place with the Course, you see how it relates to this movie Source Code, because he's operating out of a set of assumptions. He's, he's not even sure who he is, he's not even sure where he is, he does not understand the anything that really is going on. But he seems to be acting on orders, like find the bomb, find the bomber, and, and he's directing all of his actions in this eight minute scenario that plays out over and over based on what his purpose is. You know, it's, it's like that's how the scenarios are generated. There's a false identity or false purpose and then you misperceive everything and everyone in the entire situation based on this false belief of identity. And until you get a clue, which is what the Course is helping us with, that it's all about forgiveness, it's all about retraining your mind to start to realize that you've been barking up the wrong tree, you've been playing in the land of ghosts, you've been playing fiction, you've been playing make-believe, you've been spinning identities around and around, you've been trying to improve things, you've been trying to escape things, You've been trying to make things better in form and the teachings that this movie is coming towards with, this, with the Spirit's guidance is that the problem is not in form. The problem is not a dirty bomb in Chicago. The problem is not a, a coronavirus, a COVID-19 virus. The problem is not economic. The problem is not interpersonal in terms of interpersonal conflicts and relationships. The problem has nothing at all to do with form and everything to do with the mind. And the only way to come back into a state of empowerment, into a high transcendent state of mind, is to realize that, that everything that you've seemed to ever experience in all of history has been a wild goose chase projected out by the ego that you would keep following, you would keep trying to change the world, fix the world, you would be trying to make the world better, you would be trying to go for some kind of self-improvement, you would try to go for some goal that you would be happier somehow in time and space and, and you can't really find the happiness in time and space because that's like saying, I, I'm going to find my happiness in a projection that has no reality. But you can begin to forgive everything that you think you know, everything that you think you 
find meaning in, in the world, every single attempt at trying to change anything or anybody in the world, when you start to really see that it's not found there, then your mind energy, your, your vitality, the whole purpose for everything can come into clear focus. To watch the dream. Because when you look at the scripts of the world, the ego projects the duality of a split mind onto the world. So everything in a dualistic world, in a world of opposites, seems to be unreconcilable, and that doesn't, it doesn't matter how many days, months, years you play it out, you can never reconcile anything inside the dream until you give the dream a whole new purpose, and that new purpose is forgiveness. You can never escape the dream with a personal purpose, you can never escape the dream through any act of heroism, uh, through tr trying to do the right thing, to trying to find the right behaviors, to trying to find the right equation, the right solution, the right amount of something, the, you know, to get the Rubik's Cube. I always talk about, when I, I talk about this movie is like a Rubik's Cube where you know, you can go and go and go with that Rubik's Cube, and there is this idea that you're going to be able to keep moving the cube around until all the same colors are on each of the sides, so it's no longer a mix. And that's supposed to be when the game of the Rubik's Cube is done. But it's a goose chase. There will never come a point where you say, I have all my ducks in a row. Wow! I have now reached a perfect form in my life, because the world was made by the ego, was projected by the ego, that you would never find out who you are. It was made as a block so complicated and so uh, fragmented, that search as you may for a sense of wholeness or completion in those images, you would never find that experience inside those images. So, what I like about this movie is, even if you just follow the plot of this movie, this linear plot, you can start to tell that he seems to have been inserted in some kind of scenario, but he now is aware that there's, there's an aspect of him that's not in the scenario. He's not in the train, but he's accepted that he can get projected onto that eight-minute train scenario. He's accepted that he is in some kind of environment, uh, some kind of capsule, that's another aspect of himself that's kind of strapped down and it got very cold in that capsule and he was fearing for his life, so to speak, in that capsule. Because again, it was very much related to a body identity that seemed to be very, very confined. And yet, he is trying to move through time and space, he's trying to move through these eight minutes as fast as he can, 
in order to complete his mission. His perception is selective and he is now selecting every single time he goes into that eight minute scenario. He is zooming in based on his goal, the goal that he's been given and his military goal, which is to find the, the bomb and find the bomber. And you can tell that he seems to be like a good soldier with that identity. He seems to be very focused in his mission at trying to discover as much information as he can in that eight minute scenario to help him solve his mission, which is called Find the Bomber. Now for, in this world, when the mind falls asleep, it's dreaming a dream, it does, forgets it's dreaming, it takes on a human identity, and then somehow it's got some kind of roles and standards of success. You know, oh, I need to succeed as a person, I need to succeed as a human being, and succeed as a body, and that, what would that success be? Would it be being married or having children would be successful career, would it be possessions, skills, abilities, beauty, would it be fame, would it be money? You see, it's like there's all these scenarios that are generated from the ego, again, with one purpose, is to keep you from knowing who you are. That's the only purpose for the projection. The projection doesn't have any other purpose. You can never find satisfaction. Some of you remember Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. What's one of their most famous songs? And why is, I can't get no... Why do people love that song? Why do people like the Stones? Why do they relate to that song so much? Because there's something inside that goes, hmm, they're singing about my life. I can't seem to get any satisfaction. I can't seem to solve the Rubik's Cube. I can't, I can't handle this jigsaw puzzle. I've tried moving the pieces. I can't solve the puzzle. And what does Mick Jagger say? Because I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. And I try, I can't get no, you know, people relate to that song because the human experience is completely unsatisfactory. And, and there, it's depressing, and there's a heaviness that the, the Abbot was talking about, there's a heaviness. And remember when the Abbot was working with Thierry, about the sword and, and the heaviness, and he says, what are, what, what are you not wanting to discover? What's there? Go inside, pick up that sword. No, it's too heavy. Oh yeah, no, it's heavy because there's a heaviness that you haven't wanted to face. You see how the, the abbot takes it right away from a heavy sword to there's a heaviness in the mind that you haven't wanted to face. You, you want to pick a lighter sword up because you still want to distract away from the heaviness. And what is the heaviness but the human condition of believing in the ego? What is the heaviness but believing you're something that you're not? What is the heaviness except believing you're a person, a character in an unreal dream that has nothing to do with your Christ identity? 
That's the heaviness. When he gets finally, when he really gets tyranny to, to go in there and look closer and closer inside, he says, name it, name it. You see how the, the, the abbot wants him to name it. And what does tyranny say? He says, loss. loss. He's able to give it a word, loss. Yeah, there you're getting closer to the core of the heaviness because there's a sense of loss. You can call it sadness, depression, you can call it abandonment. There's a deep sense of loss. Loss about what? Loss about forgetting your source. Loss about having amnesia about heaven, nirvana, time, holding on to time and space and, and becoming homesick. That's, that you watch The Wizard of Oz and you say, yeah, yeah, that's right, there's no place like home. I can't get no satisfaction, there's no place like home. E.T. wants to phone home. It's all these movies about going home, finding home, remembering home, finding the core, getting back to the core. And, and yet, the, if you don't face that core feeling of loss and you don't get at what is really going on, then you, you cannot be free of it in your mind. It's not good enough to project it to, to persons and say, oh, I, you know, like Tierney was, was, was saying, you know, I lost my, I lost my father, I, I lost my, my mother. You know, he was starting to name all the things. First he named the feeling, loss, and then he started to name all the, the specifics, the memories. But that's the projection of the loss. That's not the loss. That you can't ever transcend that feeling of loss if you just write it off into projections, into specifics. So, I like that scene we just saw because finally he's, he's on the ground and he's talking to this woman that he's starting to feel more and more of, of a, some kind of a connection with, but he's saying, what would you do if you just had two minutes to live? I'd call my father and tell him I'm sorry. You know, you see he's starting now to get, finally, after all these eight minute scenarios, with even with his military mission and everything, he's down on his knees in that train and before the flames come to engulf them, you know, he's starting to somewhere deep in his heart have some kind of a prayer like, what's it all about? What What is this feeling of loss that I feel? What is this feeling of, of sadness? Because as soon as you begin to see that it's in your mind, you have shortened the whole wake-up journey in an amount you couldn't even conceive of. Because, because why? Because you were looking for the solutions in the form, and there is no solution in form. So if you're looking for the solution where there is no solution, you've just con kind of condemned your mind to this time-space, what seems very long time-space uh, experiment. It's like an ego experiment in keeping you to know who you are. So. So in one sense, I think he's come a long way when he's starting to get in touch with his, how he feels about his biological father. It be, behind everything, behind his military career, behind his specific assignment with source code, 
but she still is trying to be the best soldier he can be. <laughs> He's like the old army, be all that you can be. He's trying to still be the best soldier that he can be to do his mission, even though he wasn't given a lot of information. Now when he's been given a little bit more information, it's still confusing to him. Like, no, I saved that girl. I saved her. I saved this woman. She didn't die. Oh, they're saying, yes, she did. And and now they're revealing this whole source code mission is just a, a way to save more lives. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of panic. When people are looking for the solution with the, the coronavirus, again, it's it's not that different from trying to pre prevent a, a, an explosion of a dirty bomb in Chicago, in the sense of trying to prevent, curtail, limit a pandemic. It's still a projection of the air into time and space and then trying to do the appropriate things to bring it under control. But Jesus fills us in and says, listen, reality has never been under your control. This world is not reality, and you can't even control yourself, Jesus says. Why would you think that you could control reality? if you can't even control yourself. In other words, the self that you made is so dark and so chaotic and so inadequate, it definitely has no satisfaction, and you can't even control yourself. Why do you think you could control reality? This world is an attempt to control reality. This world is an attempt to make up an identity that has no existence and to control that identity. There's one point in the, right at the beginning of Rules for Decision where Jesus comes right out and says, you have no control over the world you made. Well, let's just take a look at that. You have no control over the world you made, that must mean you have no control over your personality self, which is just a teeny weeny little part of that world that you made. And you have no control over the body. All this attempts to be, have a healthy body, have a fit body, to, to try to keep, to even to have a body that survives is, is, an, is another goose chase. Survival is, is a misdirection. You know, like when they have a football play where they try to fake a handoff to one running back and then keep the ball and then misdirect the defense and then throw a pass. This whole thing in, in the mind is an attempt to misdirect away from the mind. The world was made to keep you mindless. The world was made that you would get so entrenched in this body identity that you would forget that you even had a mind in the first place. That, that the mind had power. You know, to get so caught up into the human condition that this tiny, tiny, itsy, bitsy, teeny, weeny, little false identity, and you put so much time and energy onto this false identity, it, you feel drained, you feel sad, you feel depressed, you feel tired. Time, as long as you keep playing that game of being identified 
with time, you feel this sense of enervation, you feel this sense of fatigue. It gets so tiring. It's like, oh, I can't go through another day of this. So tiring. But all of it is just because of a misdirection. So, here we are in this part of the movie, which I feel like we've come to a turning point in the movie, where he's now, he's starting to face his emotions for the first time. He's, he's getting a little bit uh, dissatisfied with the, with the whole mission. He's getting a little bit dissatisfied with the eight minute window. He's getting a little dissatisfied that he's not found the bomber, and that's his mission to find the bomber. When you set up goals that are incapable of being achieved, when you set up goals and problems that are incapable of being solved, and you keep trying to solve them over and over and over without success, which is what the human condition is. You ever notice that? You go through one day, you get a certain set of problems, you think you're pretty good and you solve some of them, maybe not all of them. You've had, you think a pretty successful day where you went through the day and you think, pretty good? I handled most of them. But I'm still laying here in bed with my head on the pillow and I'm still feeling this and I'm still thinking about that. There you go. It still means that that you go to sleep, you dream dreams, maybe you have problems to face in your dreams, then you seem to wake up in the morning and you get a, a new day with a whole new set of problems. And then you wonder why you're not satisfied, and you wonder why you're a little bit sad and depressed. There's a low level depression going on, it's because you, you just keep playing a game of trying to solve problems that have no solution. Is there a solution to the coronavirus? No. Is there a solution to the human condition? In form? No. Will things ever get better in time and space? You can believe that if you want, but the Holy Spirit sees the world as neutral, so the happiest moment you can ever have is to start to realize nothing in the world is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. You, you, the Descartes line, you start to realize that you are incapable of judging anything in this world. Meaning, you are incapable of having an opinion. You are, it's done no good at all to discern the good things in this world from the bad things. If they're all projections, what makes you think that some are better than the others? What makes you think that there's some things worth pursuing and some things worth avoiding? What makes you think you know enough to discern in this world between the good things and the bad things? Anything Jesus says that you feel is worth striving for in this world will hurt you. Anything that you believe is worth striving for in this world will hurt you. Not because it's dangerous in and of itself, but it's because you've given reality to something that has no reality whatsoever. 
If you want a goal, why not have present peace as your goal? Why not give up all future goals? Oh, I want to, still want to accomplish this, I still have a bucket list, I still want to do this, I still want to do that. That's something in recent years that's starting to gain a little popularity. You know, when people, years ago, if somebody said, uh, like when I was growing up, somebody said, I have a bucket list, nobody would have known what they meant. We didn't, we didn't have a term called bucket list. We'd say, what the hell is a bucket list? What is that? Nowadays you say bucket list and it's like the things you want to tick off before you die. But what if the belief in the ego is the death? And by believing in the ego and and looking through its filter of time and space that you are succumbing to a death wish and you're hoping that you're going to find some reality in something that has no reality whatsoever. That's what he means by anything that you strive for in this world can hurt you because it's not because it's harmful but it's just because it, you're still chasing a pipe dream. You still don't get it if there's nothing here to solve. In this movie he's clearly wondering about his identity, but it's clear that he still is acting out of what he believes he is. He still believes he's under military orders. If he didn't believe that he was a, was a captain or was still in the military, he would just laugh at these instructions that, that he's being given. He would, he would laugh he, and you can tell that when he's, he says to the, to the man, uh, you, you're, are you in charge, are you in command? And he says, yeah, actually I am. And then gives this intellectual source code uh, thing as if like he's so sure of his identity about saving lives and using his intellect to save these bodies. If, 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 you can realize that all of these identities were just made up to distract you from knowing who you are. You would laugh at the characters when they try to tell you, you must do this, you have to do that, you should do this, you ought to do this. Be a good soldier, be a good man, be a good woman, be a good husband, be a good wife. Be a good Course in Miracles student. That one will kill you too. If you if you stay at the level of persons and, and just thinking that you're going to become a good Course in Miracles student and that's going to get you out of it, or a good Course in Miracles teacher, that's another construct, another false definition that's been made up to blind you from knowing who you are. So let's follow uh, the rest of source code here and and see where he goes. Once he discovers this feeling of loss that he has, once he discovers this feeling of, I, I would call my dad, if I, if I had two minutes to, to live, I would call my dad, then you know he's in touch with something that, that he's not been in touch with, and just getting in touch with that, that feeling has its own benefit. 
Okay, let's pause it there. Sorry. <laughs> well, the first thing I think that's important is, you know, if you go to the beginning of what we were just watching, um, Goodwin is basically saying you need to focus on the mission. You need, don't, don't, I need to see, I need to talk to my father. You need to focus on the mission. She's been saying that from the beginning. This is no different than the ego saying you need to focus on the form. You need to figure out the form. You need to, to solve your life quest in form. And if you had two words that were side by side, one is called mission, which is your linear mission, which is all make-believe to keep, guard you protect you from finding the holy instant. That's what time and space was made for. That's what linear time was. The, the ego is always trying to force continuity on past, present, future, because why? It made up past, present, future. Every concern about the coronavirus, about world economy, about the health of your body, about how successful your life is, about even the linear construct of, am I getting closer to enlightenment? Am I going to be any more loving person after I go through this transformation? All the concerns about the linear mission are all to keep you distracted from watching your mind and going inside to the stillness. So, in this case, you know, she's like, you know, focus on your mission, focus on your mission. I want you to do this. She's giving instructions. Do just focus on this. Do this. I need to talk to my father. I'll see if I can do that. Now she's right back. Go back. She's always focused on the mission because the linear mission is a defense against the realization of who you are. And as soon as he gets in there, you know, he starts to connect. He starts He's not really that focused on his mission when he goes back in this time because he's more focused on his identity. He's starting to question what is happening to this Captain Coulter. He's, he's, now he's going to use metaphors with her and saying, I have a friend. You know, see, when he first started out at the very beginning in the train, he said, I, I'm not who you think I am. I, I fly missions in Afghanistan. At the very beginning, he was speaking as if he was Captain Coulter. Now he's he's on that train to try to use the internet to try to explore. And this is what happened when you when your mind starts to wake up. You start to explore and question. You may use the internet. You may use any means possible: books, people, going to lectures, talking to people, trying to find people who seem to be experienced in this spiritual awakening, you're curious more about the identity. He's more curious now, in this particular sequence, eight minute sequence on that train, he's more interested in identity. I mean, and even trying to get a hold of a, the internet or a phone, he sends her off on a mission to look up this Coulter Stevens, because he's, he's really wanting to find out more about the identity. Who who am I is now taking a prominent po point in his mind over the mission. And and he's trying to follow the clues, the, the 
Air Force Base, the, the insignia. He's trying to really follow the clues, but here she is. He comes right out and says, can you use your phone to look this guy up? And he's almost like not interested because he feels like he's been following the clues and he's getting getting close. And then she says, yeah, I found, I found your friend. And he was killed. He's been, he was killed three months ago. She starts to fill in all the information around death. And it's almost like now his whole perception of everything has just now become more dismantled. And now he's more disoriented than ever. Because he thought he was just on the track of discovering this Captain Coulter, Stevens character, and now she's telling him he's dead. Well that, that, talk about putting a wrench in your mind about the whole thing, the mission, who he is, where he is, and she's saying, he's dead. When he was questioning this Goodwin, you know, more and more, she didn't seem to want to say, he was saying, have you gone on any missions? Have you been put into source code? How many missions have you gone on? And she completely avoided that, because why? Because it's like the military is just using his consciousness. And she can't fill him in on that or he won't do his mission. Can't just say, well actually, we're just using, we're using this quantum thing, like source code thing, and we're just using your consciousness to try to solve a problem. Isn't that just like the ego? The ego invented consciousness, which is the, the domain of the ego. It's using the mind to perpetuate a false identity and therefore the ego is very set on its mission. It just wants to exist. It invented consciousness and now it's going to use consciousness and it doesn't want you to ever get to that point. To realize that the ego is just a purpose in your mind using consciousness for its own survival. It doesn't want you to realize that. It wants you to always think about your personal journey your personal strivings, your personal relationships, your personal everything. Because if you start to realize it's all just about how am I letting the ego use my consciousness, then you're going to quickly get onto the trick that it's simply using consciousness to perpetuate itself. It doesn't want you to wake up to who you truly are. It's not about the, the Francis's, the Suavas, the Davids, the Andes. It's not about Captain Coulter. And, and suddenly he's having a moment right there at this particular scene when she's taken her phone and she's actually connected to the internet and she's looked up Coulter Stevens and she says he's dead. Ooh. The ego didn't want that one to come out because if Coulter Stevens is dead, then who, the who am I question now takes on a new search. Because if I'm not Coulter Stevens and I'm not this Sean Fentress guy, then who am I? It, it takes on much more importance now, the identity question, because look at his face right there at that freeze frame. 
she's not only telling him that, that Captain Coulter Stevens is dead, that he died three months ago, but he's, you know, he was honored and, and all these different things, and she's filling in information about his dad, his dad's name, Donald or whatever she mentioned. She's filled in the whole details like she's got an accurate picture there and that this character that he thinks he is is dead. Even though he's looked in the mirror and he sees a Sean and they've told him, you know, you've taken on Sean because he was compatible with you in the source code, but now who is is Coulter Stevens, you know, if, if he's been dead, then usually in people's minds, dead means over. Death is an end. Death is the end of something. Nobody's quite sure if there's an afterlife, because why? Because what? The afterlife is just a projection of the ego too, as if your human flesh life is life, and as there's something that happens after. But remember, the ego invented time, so the ego invented the future, so even the afterlife is just another construct and another defense against the holy instant of knowing who you are now. It always comes back to the power of now. You can't even find solace in thinking that you'll have an afterlife a better afterlife. You did good deeds and you were a kind and loving person in this life and now, like that uh, new series called A Good Place, we've been looking into, you know, as if there's, there's a good place that you go to after this life, if you've been good. You have enough random acts of kindness stored up. You get a high enough score to go to the good place instead of the bad place. There aren't any good places and bad places. There's no heaven as a place and there's no hell as a place. There's no afterlife. There's, there are no other realms. In that series, you know, they, they said five, religions have like 5% of it right. All, it's all speculation. But what we're starting to see in this movie is it's all about identity and you have to get back to the mind and you have to get back to consciousness somehow before you start to get close to the escape hatch. Because if you stay identified with that character in time and space, you are far removed from atonement. If you stay identified with the projection, you aren't close to the atonement. You're still looking for love, looking for identity, looking for meaning in the wrong place. You're looking in time and space. You're looking in the projection for that which is not a projection. You're looking in the projection for not realizing that the whole projection was made that you would never know who you are. So it's a giant defense, all time and space. All these problems that are generated in time and space, the more you give your mind energy thinking about unreal problems and trying to solve unreal problems, and trying to find the solution in form to unreal problems in form, you might say it's a misuse of mind. It's a misuse of your mind's energy. As you focus on forgiveness, as you focus on the miracle, as you focus on your purpose, as you focus on your calling, 
Good, 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 because you're focusing on the mind. You're focusing on giving a new purpose to the dream. Not trying to see the duality as in the world. As long as you are seeing the duality in the world, the good and bad of the world, a bomb blowing up, oh that's bad. Taking a walk on a sunny day, that's good. You know, back and forth, bad and good. As long as you see the, the split in the world, then you're not acknowledging that the split is in the mind. That's the definition of separation, is having a split mind. Part of the mind knows that it's still one with God, that's where the Holy Spirit resides, and part of the mind thinks it's separated from God. That's a split. And then dissociation is an attempt to project out a world of duality and live with both. Live with the belief in separation and live with the correction. And Jesus is just teaching us, you can't, you can't live with a split mind. A split mind itself is death. The mind wasn't created to be split, and it's not split in reality, but if you believe it's split, if you are not in your right mind, if you're not in your peace, if you're not in your happiness and joy, then you will feel feelings of loss and hurt and shame and sadness and anger, and, and you will attempt to alleviate that conflict in mind by something informed. Am I there yet? Did I do the, Did I do enough? Did I solve the riddle? Did I solve the Rubik's Cube? It won't happen until you go back inside. So let's rejoin here in the movie because now things are speeding up. He's not sure who he is, but now with what she just told him, he is starting to realize that that he is not Sean Fentress and he is not Coulter Stevens. What a game! You notice how it's netty-netty. The mm -hmm. things you start to discover you're not is the fastest game to discover who you are. Because as long as you believe you're something that you're not and you're convinced that you believe that you're something that you're not, your mind isn't open to being shown something different. You're not ready to wake up from the dream if you're still convinced that you're a dream character and you're still trying to perpetuate, find a better life, so to speak, for that image. You're not interested at all at going much deeper. But just look at that face. You can see now what he's just heard from her has now started him questioning even more. He's more disoriented than he was at the beginning now. Because now he's sure that he's not Sean or Captain Coulter, and he's not sure what this train is. He still has his mission, but he's not so sure about the mission either. Because if he doesn't know who he is, why does he care so much about finding the bomber? You see? And the same in our lives. The more we start to go deeper into our mind, we're less concerned about the outcomes of the world. You know? In, in this world, there's a big distinction made between some dead and living. You know, when you're talking about somebody, if somebody says, they're dead, like she just told him, then in your mind you're like, oh, okay, they're dead. 
you're not so concerned what they're going to be eating or whether they're exercising or whether you're going to see them again except in a casket. You know, you're not going to, because the dead is dead. You know, right away there's, there's something, a judgment that's made in your mind. But think about the end of that Solaris movie. What's the famous line that comes at the end when George Clooney's character, when Kel Kelvin, what's his name, Chris Kelvin, he's ready to turn into the Christ because Chris Kelvin asked his wife or his ex-wife, who's a reappearing, am I dead or am I alive? What does she say to him? We don't have to think like that anymore. He's asking one of the most basic questions that a human being could ask, am I dead or am I alive? And she says, we don't have to think like that anymore. Like, oh, there's a whole realm of experience that's beyond this dead and alive question. And look at him now. He's right on the cusp where Chris Kelvin is because he wasn't even asking her. He was pretending, he said, I have a friend who was in the service, can you look him up? He's trying to locate Captain Calder Stevens. He's trying to locate Captain Calder Stevens. Where is Captain Calder Stevens? And she's saying, he's dead. That's not the answer he was looking for. But, he's more disoriented now, and I'd say he's coming closer to consciousness, because that's what's being kept hidden from him, is that he is consciousness. They're all interested in the mission and accomplishing the mission to save lives in Chicago, but they're not interested, and they're not telling him that they're just using his consciousness. Oh boy, talk about spilling the, spilling the beans. That would be spilling the beans. But look at his face. He is one step closer to knowing that he's consciousness, which is one step closer to knowing that he's Christ. Because you, you can't know that you're Christ until you first get back to the mind, and the mind is consciousness. You have to get to the consciousness first before you get to the Christ. So let's see where he goes from here. He's, he's definitely uh, not sure about uh, his identity or his mission. The power of the mind, just like our attorney uh, story. He's, he is just having the realization that he's imagining everything. And already with, his with just that realization that he's imagining everything, the whole capsule starts to expand. Because what? His belief in his limitations are being lifted. Just from that realization that, that he is not alive as he knew himself, that he's, he's imagining things. This, this is all imagination. When, when she, on the train, when she told him that, that uh, Coulter Stevens was dead, her, her eyes started to pixelate, and then all of her body started pixelating, which is that idea, it's a symbol that this is all just a dream, like things pixelate sometimes in a dream. That it's an image. That this is not a real person that he's talking to. Which then 
they're sending you, you know, we send you into the train, he's starting to realize the train, the girl on the train, and, and even his identity as being a man is a manifestation of something which must be his mind. And he's just, as he starts to realize that everything that he's perceiving is a, a manifestation, he's even reluctantly, Goodwin is, he's pulling it out of her. You know, am I dead? Soldier to soldier, am I dead? You know, there's a part of you, your brain is still alive, but it's, it's like, but no, I have a body, I have legs, I can, I can move. It's just a manifestation. Now, the whole context of the source code is starting to be equated more and more with consciousness. Now it's starting to become relevant to his question of who am I? Not just the mission, but, but, Goodwin and Rutledge are symbolic of the military, symbolic of the ego. It's just attempting to use consciousness for its purposes. And what is, what are its purposes? To save lives. And what are lives? But bodies. To save bodies. The ego is attempting to use a goal of saving bodies. Just like with the, what's going on with the, the virus thing, save bodies. There's a lot of attention that's been put into saving bodies, saving as many bodies as possible. In the military, you know, they say save bodies, saving the right bodies. If they believe something different, or their color of their skin's different, or whatever, maybe he's not so interested in saving those bodies, but saving certain bodies, saving preferred bodies, saving preferred country bodies, and, and eliminating other country bodies. I mean, even what's going on with planet Earth right now, of, of, there's a lot more bodies that are dying of malnutrition that are children, than are dying of coronavirus. A lot more, every day. A huge amount more of bodies that are dying of of malnutrition. Oh, but those bodies just aren't valued. They don't make the headlines. Starving children? Oh no, there's much bigger headlines than that. It's all about money, it's about corporations, it's about building bigger, better, faster, more. You know, it's about all the egoic things of life. Money, fame, possessions, those are the things that the ego is, is, those are the ego's values, because why? It's part of a false self-concept identity that's been made up to take the place of the Christ identity, and so all this attention is focused on the veil, and one of the things you'll notice if you read all the headlines is they're not really talking about consciousness. These two, Goodwin, and Rutledge, they don't want to talk to him about consciousness. That's the last thing they want to talk to him about. Because if he starts to realize it's all about his consciousness, he's not going to be interested in doing missions for the military. <laughs> he's going to, he must, he'll start to realize, I must have made up the military. 
And if he gets into that, then he starts to have these awarenesses. He doesn't need A Course in Miracles to read the book. He can discover it for himself through direct experiences that he's a mind, and he's not a body, and he's never been a body. So you see how expansive. That's got to be one of the best scenes in the movie though, as soon as he's just saying, you know, to Goodwin, come on, soldier to soldier, am I dead? And she starts to fumble around, and now he's getting the recognition that it's all just a manifestation of his mind, and it's just consciousness. And he's just from that slight little glimmer of the power of the mind and the power of consciousness, his capsule is expanding. And that's what happens to us in our lives when we start to realize how vast this mission is. We're not here to be good people. We're here to transcend the mask of, of personhood entirely. So, okay, let's, let's roll it. It's getting exciting now. I'm certain we can find a servicemen with wounds similar to yours who would consider being a part of this program at all. There you go, you're really getting a good look at the two thought systems. One is all about the form, it's all about achieving, accomplishing something, is is not not aware that everything's connected, and and Rutledge is spouting the intellectual and the scientific, the Newtonian perspective and the the perspective of the world. That is the ego speaking. That that the, you're, if you tried to call me, I, this me would have never received your call. Because, why? Because it's saying everything's disconnected. It's even using the word disconnected, different realities. You're, you're in a, a program and I'm in, in another reality and, and Rutledge is basically spouting what the ego is teaching, that, that, that nothing is connected. Everything is disconnected. In fact, then he gets more arrogant and he says, you know, we, we set you, we move you around, you're, you're like a pawn, you know. He's, he's talking to, to the, the character as if you're just a pawn now to the military and, and you're just an image. But it's not coming from a place of wisdom, it's not coming from a place of love, it's not coming from a place of the awareness that everything is connected. This is the Newtonian scientific explanation that there are separate things and things can be discovered and figured out and, and you, you have to believe in duality and multiplicity first before you think about saving bodies. Saving some bodies and letting other bodies die. Saving parts of the dream and letting other parts of the dream go. You have to believe in disconnection before that is even a mindset. So, basically, he's, he's going to the point right now where he's talking to them, to Goodwin and Rutledge, and they're basically telling him, no, you're at the mercy of a, of a computer program, and you're under our service now, and they're even using guilt tactics, like there would be a lot of other servicemen that would be proud to serve their country from your position. You see, the ultimate teaching in sacrifice, like, oh, you're, you're doing okay, but you, you need to do better, and there's a lot of others. And in fact, he's saying, okay, I'll give you what you want. 
I'll let you die. From the scientific mind or the military mind, is that supposed to be some kind of bonus? I'll let you die? Is that, is that the best that you can offer? Is that the reward that I get for going and finding the bomber? You'll let me die? <laughs> you see, the belief in sacrifice is so ingrained that it's like, I'll give you what you want. The ego is trying to tell him what he wants. To die! <laughs> but they've already told him, essentially, you're already dead. But we're just using your mind and your consciousness for this very important worldly mission. But he's starting to realize you can't reconcile these things. If he's just had the re realization that, that all the things, that his body that he sees and the capsule are just images, just manifesting manifestations of his mind, why would he even stop there? He's on a journey to identity that now he's starting to feel the empowerment of, if I can generate a body in a capsule, how far does this generating, this projection thing go? If my mind is that powerful that I can generate a body in a capsule, and this whole train thing blowing up, that's all seems to be quite a projection too. So now he's starting to awaken in awareness to, I must be much more than I thought I was, much more than I defined myself. I must be way beyond what I defined myself. And, and I think, you know, like even with Ken's show coming up Thursday, yeah, conspiracy, we'll talk about conspiracy. Oh, there's a conspiracy. All right. Let's talk about the conspiracy of consciousness. Then we, we're on to something. But as long as we're worried about the government, as long as we're worried about these certain power, you know, players, you know, these these ones that are like controlling the strings and moving the puppets around in the world, as long as you, what was that channeling of Jesus talking about? Uh, the powers that be, as long as you have external powers that be, that so-called Jesus was being channeled saying that there's powers that be that you have to deal with, ooh, then you've got a conspiracy thing, ooh, who are the powers that be pulling the strings? What if it's your own mind that's been pulling all the strings and you've simply been in a giant self-deception of forgetting who you are and then projecting the blame at Ooh, what's going to happen now from this external world. So he's, he's actually starting to question a lot more now that he's aware that things aren't at all what they seem to be. Okay, with everything I've been sharing, you see how Rutledge, again, it was the ego trick of playing his dad's voice, which was, my son, I said some things, it was the guilt around that, but it was like he, he didn't listen to me. He was playing on the self-concept of the pride in fighting for other people's lives and fi fighting for your country and you see how the ego always goes back to the guilt and always goes back to the false association, the false identity to force you to go back on your mission, which is to solve something on earth. 
the ego was playing on that guilt. You know, he started to really question everything and he had that expansive experience, you know, in the capsule. But then Rutledge is like saying, you, you know, just think about those millions of, of American lives in the real world, which is the projection. Always coming back to that sacrifice idea. Use your life to, to do something for other people. Which is, it of course made up, it made up the world, but it's always trying to draw the mind back. You know, that's what reincarnation seems to be. What, call it whatever you want, is not so much an afterlife, but it's like an, another channel of beyond this world. But there's still, as long as there's unconscious guilt, the mind will be drawn back. You know, you see how he was resisting even going on these eight minute missions. He was in this capsule resisting going back and then the old trick of just remember those two million real people and those Americans in the real world that could die unless you do your heroic mission to save them. It's always pointing to salvation outside. Something, salvation's only for the mind. The mind that's asleep and dreaming needs salvation, not characters in the dream. They're the projection to guard the mind against from going inside and waking up. So he goes back and you see how focused he is. He breaks in, you know, to get the gun. He's, he goes up there. He's Now he's not so concerned about the bomb blowing off. He just says, don't blow me up again. But he detaches the cell phone and then he gets right at his mission to find out who's got the other phone. But see, that's still more of the distraction from knowing who you are. It's still trying to solve the mystery. It's trying to save the lives in the world. It's trying to solve something of this world instead of realizing the problems in the mind. That's what all the mind training, all those workbook lessons are about. Go within, go within. Recognize the strength of your mind. Recognize you made this up. Don't try to keep solving the problem in the world. Go inside except that you have the answer inside you. So, it, the ego will always try to pull you out to some kind of earthly mission to keep you from facing that error and, and going past that. Going through the feeling of loss, going through the feeling of, of upset, whatever that upset seems to be, and not going out there on the screen to try to solve it again. But he's, He's here, he's gone back into the train, he got, he's just leaped off of the, out of the train and went tumbling on the concrete because he still believes in this external mission. And he hurled his body out, outside to, to tra trace down this guy, that now he's seen what he's identified as the bomber. His whole mission <laughs> from the beginning with this whole thing was find the bomber and now he's seen what he is sure now is the bomber. He, he was close there but he grabbed the, the, the guy who was talking to his wife. No, not that. Now he's, he's zooming in. But you can see whenever you follow the mission, you're on a body mission that really is part of the the distraction. It never ends well when you 
go for the externals, when you go for that external solution. He still believes what Rutledge said, that he's in a, an isolated program and that somehow this isolated computer program can save lives in the real world, but the real world is getting at the ego. It's not trying to go out into the ego's world to solve something and to, to bring about a solution to save those lives out there. It's actually has to be in the mind. So he's, he's still, you know, Jesus said going to the cross, the crucifixion was the last useless journey. No, this character, this consciousness that still believes he has to find the evil one outside is still on the la that last useless journey. He has not really seen the atonement as, a, as an alternative here. Okay, we can pause it there. Again, you see the two bodies laying there. But when you try to solve it in terms of externals, it, it, nof it nothing ends because it's a projection. So the bodies seem to die and then they die and then they die and they more die. It's just, it's a story of death because that's the story of seeking outside yourself. And Jesus tells us, seek not outside yourself for it will fail and you will weep each time an idol falls. It's the seeking outside that was the whole defense against accepting the correction. It's the whole idea of trying to, you know, Jesus says, seek not to change the world, seek rather to change your mind about the world. He's saying you have to change the purpose. And then even when he, he asked Derek, you know, why, why, why did you do this? This world is hell. And we can start again, but you have to have rubble to start again. So it's like, okay, the world's hell, we'll just use bombs to handle a hellish world. Is that a solution? No, again, that's just another example of the ego's thinking that there's something external, and it doesn't mind if you even think this world is hell, as long as you will use some kind of other story to correct that hell. Because hell is just the ego itself, it's the belief in the mind. And the ego is hiding behind all of these images because that's its veil of protection. You know, to see that there's external causes, external things that have to change. So, we got a little glimpse there of the ego's thinking, this is, world is hell, but you need to use a bomb and then you come around and then you start over from the rubble, this crazy game of ego thinking, and then there they are again, now they're off the train, the exploding train, but there they are laying in the parking lot. Because again, it was still pursuing something outside of consciousness, something outside the mind as a way of solving something, and that it, we just are told over and over, projection, you can never find the answer in the projection, you have to look within inside the Kingdom of Heaven. Okay, let's, <laughs> we're taking it piece by piece here. This I still want to die, but I want to go back in and I want to save all those people on that train first. It doesn't work that way, you can't. No, I know, I know, I know. I'm not really asking you to believe me, sir. I'm just, I'm asking you to have the decency to let me try. So that last, Dialogue was very important because 
Rutledge is coming from the belief system that there's separate realities, this was just a computer program, and we were having you go in and to find this bit of information that we can use to save people in the world. And he says, I, I want to die, but I, I, I also put me back in one more time. I want to save the people on the train. Rutledge is saying, no, you don't understand. That's just a computer program. It's just a device. Because Rutledge is coming from the idea that everything is disconnected, but there's something inside him, our main character, that that says, I know, I know, I know, but just just trust me, just, just put me in one more time. He still has the belief somewhere in his mind that everything's connected. Because everything that that Rutledge is telling him is, okay, you did it. We got it. We got, we got the information. And now we'll save lives with that specific bit of information. But that's coming from the perspective that everything's disconnected. And there's something inside our main character who knows that everything is connected. In fact, you know, you saw that last group of symbols that when he came, came back, there was all these symbols. Some of you might recognize that, that shiny domed building in downtown Chicago. And you also saw Christina smiling. He's starting to get little glimmers of the real world. He's starting to get glimmers of this idea that if his mind, as Jesus says, when my mind is healed, I am not healed alone. When you are healed, you are never healed alone. And legions upon legions, Jesus says in the workbook, will arise when you accept the gift of healing. So it's like when you allow your consciousness to be raised up, the darkness to be raised to the light, when you allow your mind to heal, everything and everyone is healed because there's only one mind, there's only one of us. And when that mind is healed, then every the dead shall arise, legions upon legions are healed because it's it's a, a holographic world, it's a generated world coming from ego belief. And when you let go of that ego, then everyone everyone and everything is healed in that. That's why Jesus, a lot of times people always ask that question, well if Jesus woke up, then why are we still dreaming? If He says in the Course, when I awoke you were with me. But he's saying really, that's just his way of saying, we're, all, we're really just one mind. We always, we are created by God, we're one mind, when I awoke you were with me. It's a hallucination, you still believe you're dreaming something, but it's not really there. It's not really happening. Because it's all holographic, and when you, when the mind heals, then the whole projection is healed. So, that's why he started to get those little glimmers amongst all those images. He was getting all those images from when he was Captain Coulter, and he had images there inside the capsule, and he had images now of, of what seems to be the future where there was this beautiful silver dome building in downtown Chicago and it was sunny and you could see uh, Christina was smiling, she had peace and joy and happiness on her mind. So basically when he's saying, just put me in one more time, he's saying that he actually, 
there's a belief in there that everything's connected and that if I can go and save the lives of the people, which is really just saving the mind, it's not saving the, the train scenario, but it's saving the mind. If I can just allow my mind to be healed and I can accept the correction, then everything and everyone in the hallucination, it all becomes a unified perception and then I see the world differently. I see a unified world. I see a holistic world. I don't see separate bodies with separate minds and separate thoughts. I see the big dance. I see the big picture. So this movie, that's so beautiful because he's, he's, we're getting little foreshadows of his belief that it actually is all connected. Which we know from Jesus that that is the truth of it. It is all connected. Even though Rutledge is saying, Okay, you've done your part now, you know, we, it's over. We, we got what we wanted. The military wanted one piece of information. Now let us go in with our military intelligence and our guns and our bullets and let us do our job because you gave us the little piece of information that we needed. And it's like, that's not the answer either. Because that's still in a belief system of everything being separate. Okay. Roll it to the end here. Okay, wow. <laughs> what an ending. That, that goes quantum. <laughs> Everything's reconfigured. The whole movie, as we've seen it, never happened. Just in the desire to help, to be truly helpful, the whole thing was reconfigured and so, yeah. There's a lot of times when we, when you look at that line from the Course, the script is written, you know, you have to remember that, that even that's just an emphasis saying that all the images are past, but this, this idea of simultaneity, it's, it's just a reconfiguring of your perception where everything comes together, you know, in mind. And that's, really what healing is. It's just, it's a different way of looking at the world where you, you know, you just basically say to time in your mind, I'm not going to play that game anymore. I'm, we recently had a, a retreat, a Spanish-English retreat there at uh, La Casa and we were, I think that's where that, uh, Soren made that coronavirus uh, video, but toward the end of that I was just sharing What's the lesson? What's the lesson? They were asking, what's the lesson of coronavirus? And it says, live as if there's no tomorrow. That's what the miracle is. There, when you're in the miracle, you just see the false and false, but there is no tomorrow. You're not living as if you're preparing for something in the future. You're not living as if you're doing it for a future goal, a future motive. You're just living inspired in the joy of the moment and it's very involuntary and that's where the the peace comes in. And it was great too because in this movie they even played out the thing about about pulling the plug or hitting the red off button, you know, and then they symbolically showed uh, as if time stopped, as if the program stopped. They just showed all the happy faces. What a beautiful happy dream scene of of not connected to whether a body's living or not, whether it's on artificial support or not, totally from consciousness. 
that the, the solution is always through consciousness. It's not through do the right thing or avoid the wrong things or or live in a certain way, try to live a godly life in terms of form or whatever, because that's that's where all religions fall short when they try to get into here's the good things, here's the bad things, do more of the good things than the bad things. Well, that there's a hint of goodness there, but it's, it doesn't really acknowledge that the miracles uh, are natural. It doesn't acknowledge that there's no order of difficulty in miracles. It doesn't acknowledge that there is really no such thing as a hierarchy of illusions. It doesn't really acknowledge connectedness or sameness whenever you try to bring it down to the perceptual level of linear time. There's no solution in time. And really how beautiful that if there's just one recognition that you get from watching source code one recognition for your mind is that there is no solution in time. There's nothing you can do to escape time. There's nothing that you cannot do <laughs> to escape time. It's just a different purpose for the world. And that's why Jesus was the symbol of a way shower, because he simply saw the dream for what it was and he really made no attempt to make a better dream or to to improve the dream, he simply was aware of the dreaming. That's where the salvation is. So if you really can hear that, you know, and you see that it's all it's all in consciousness, and that's where the solution is, then then you might say, as Rutledge said, you're off the hook. But but not off the hook in terms of a body in the source code program. You're actually off the hook of time and space which was where the guilt was. So I feel like this is one of our quantum movies where it has all the symbols of everything. Opening the heart, following your purpose, giving the world a new purpose, and seeing the world differently through that new purpose. And and that is not what, what the world calls worldly death, has nothing to do with that. Seeing that you're dreaming a dream has nothing to do with whether a body is born or dies. The actions that the body does or doesn't do, it's just a, it's a shift in the, the whole perspective. We we launched, we got the champagne bottle out and we cracked the champagne bottle on the front of the ship uh, to launch these movies because as we share these movies, you know, that it's just something that when the mind's ready, it can suddenly see things that it never saw before. It can suddenly relate to things in a way. And I don't know, there's something about the movies when when it's acted out in front of you and you actually watch characters, you know, go through symbols of of expansion in the mind, including everything that our our Captain Culture, our Sean Fentress Captain Culture character, who was just a a symbol in the dream, that's, that really clears it. I find them, as many times as I watch these movies, I could just feel the the swirl of joy in my heart, because it's such a, such a strong reflection, you know, just like that movie Fifty uh, First Dates, where he shows that video over and over and over to like to orient the Drew Barrymore character back to the truth. You know, here's what you went through, 
but it's all good now. And she, I, I remember that scene too at the very end of the movie when up in Alaska, when she wakes up and she watches the video and says, come on outside, I'm outside with your daughter. And she goes and she, her eyes get really big, giant eyes when she looks out the window because it's, you know, it's just a new way of looking at the world. And every time you watch one of these movies, it's just another rinse from the, from the spirit, another washing of everything that we have believed to be true about everything. Like a power wash, <laughs> taking your, your mind through a power wash. Yeah, so strong. So strong. It's amazing, the Spirit's just bringing us these movies to, like, to show us, just to really guide us deep, deep inside, in a way that we've never done before, and yeah, it's mind-blowing. But that's the fun part of watching these movies, you know, your mind just can be so open and receptive, like just pray and say, show me Spirit, you know the way, show me, show me how to open. Yeah. It certainly, it, it changes the focus, because people have been saying on social media, like, wow, before it was all about the, the singers and the movie stars and the athletes, and now all of a sudden the focus has shifted to doctors and nurses and everything. But for us, who are into the, the healing of the mind, you know, it really, you get a, gain a huge appreciation for the power of the mind and, and why to devote to mind training and, and to how precious these talks are, these discussions, these reminders that bring everything back to the mind. You know, it's like, you know, years ago we were, you know, we get a little morsel, a little glimmer, a little synchronicity here or there, we rejoice like, oh my God, there's another way. And then now with uh, these movies and the way we're just allowing everything to be orchestrated for our, for our awakening, it's, you can really feel the quickening, like it's like it, it gets simpler and simpler. Just like every time he went back in that eight minute train window, uh, it was so different. In fact, it, toward the end she just uh, smiled at him and said, you are not, you are not the same. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm a new man, you know, it's like he really was, uh, from what he went through, every time he would go in there, he still had the the passion, but his purpose was shifting so much to, in the end, to just salvation. You know, he even made a joke of it, I, I, you know, after he had a nice chat with her about let's, let's just, you know, spend the day together and let's just see what happens, and he's like, oh, I'm, yeah, by the way, I've got to go and save the world. He made a, he made a joke out of it, the, the push, the force, the pre, the push, the push was gone, and then he makes a joke, only to just go very easily, matter-of-factly, to go back and uh, get, you know, get both phones from the bomb, handcuff the guy, where it was almost like a, a desperate struggle to uh, maximize the time. He was just having a beautiful holy encounter, and then, oh yeah, by the way, I've, I've got to go save the world. And then she's like, you are totally brand new, you know. You, he, she could feel it, you know, 
the vibration was there. And, and, and then, even then, he thought, he knew that uh, the, the plug was going to be pulled on his body, but that was just a confirmation for him uh, that, that the death of the body didn't have anything to do with consciousness. So, it's a very strong movie from Mind Over Matter, and it, that Mary Baker Eddy was always talking about. Like, everything is mind and matter is nothing, but this movie really takes you there and it acts it out and then gives you those scenes in the end, like, there's your confirmations. It has nothing to do with the body or... And then at the very end, the total reconfiguring of everything, so the, the whole thing never happened. You know, it all was just wrapped up. Kind of like the movie Next, when they when they when he has that realization that it's about his mind and his attitude and then he's just given a whole new scenario with the FBI agent and everything is completely wiped uh it's a total reset but i mean we're talking about a reset into the moment where you where you don't ever have to hold on to thoughts about the future about what will happen how will it end you know all those futuristic distraction thoughts are, you know, they're just not there. They're just not, they're not worthy of our mind anymore. Okay, well, is that a wrap? Yeah. Oh, feel good? That's a wrap. Thank you all. Thank you for sharing this today. I'm so glad we could share this with you and, yeah, what a beautiful gift. We can do this. Thank you all so much. Mm -hmm.